Hey, isn't it great to be speaking the name of Jesus, even though we can't see each other face to face? Uh, although it is good to see your faces. Um, if you see me glancing off to the side of my screen, it's because I've changed my view to gallery view so that I can see you all as I preach. Uh, so that's a great opportunity if you want to just to, to sneak down the bottom here and uh, click an emoji. Uh, and I might even see it while I'm preaching, although I'm certainly not going to guarantee it. Um, but I, I may be able to detect if you're falling asleep. So just be careful there. And if your video goes off, I'll know what's happening. Um, but it's great to get a bit of interaction, uh, talk in the chat. Um, I, I certainly can't guarantee that I can actually even see that, but um, it, it's uh, great to interact uh, a little more than we did last week, perhaps. It was all a, all a bit new. Um, but it's great to see you all. Uh, and I just want to remind us that this is this is the last of our, our faith. Uh, I mean, our prayer series, um, and so this is the this is the nitty gritty bit. This is where I say things that could offend you. Um, if you are offended, just turn your camera off, and I'll I'll recognise that you're offended and pray for you later. Um, but we started off this whole series on prayer uh, with the concept of entanglement. I don't know whether you remember that. I talked about quantum entanglement and how that related. And uh, I suspect most of you turned off a bit there because it was a little out there. But the idea is that prayer is not just a religious ritual that scores us points with God uh, or other people for that matter. Um, but it's a way of deepening our relationship with him in a rich, complex tapestry of connection. And uh, then we looked at how the early individuals in the Bible narrative actually had to come to grips with an unfamiliar God uh, whose very name was initially a mystery to them. And we saw how their prayers became quite, quite raw and honest in expressing both their faith and their doubt in their fledging relationship with Almighty God. And then we saw that as they developed from a family to a tribe and then to a nation, how their prayers developed a sense of purpose and partnership with God with the coming of a Messiah as a really strong future hope for them. And so finally, as we see the arrival of Jesus in the New Testament, the Gospels introduce a shift in the relationship between God and humankind as Jesus models the connection with his Father for us and then leaves us the Holy Spirit to continue that intimacy with God. So where does that leave us now? I mean, it's great to know how prayer grew and developed in God's redemptive plan for the nation of Israel and how that all began to take shape. And the Hebrew scriptures give us a, an incredible legacy to work with in our relationship with God. But face it, we're in a totally different position to the Old Testament believers. We are post-resurrection, Jesus-following, Holy Spirit-filled believers. We're the church, the ecclesia, the set-apart ones, the ones with a mission to take the good news to the of the gospel to the furthest corners of the globe. Although I think that actually might be an oxymoron. Um, so if you're a flat earther, ignore what I said. Uh, so what can we take from this to apply to our own prayer lives, no matter how that looks right now? What, what can, what can a, a Jordan or a Loretta or a Richard or a Morella or a, 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 an Elise or a Jared or a Lucy take from all of this? Well, and the rest of you, even though I haven't named you all, uh, don't, please don't feel left out. Um, there are two main thing, themes that we can apply directly to our prayer life today. And they are what Jesus taught the disciples about prayer. And then the second thing is how the disciples prayed once Jesus had ascended into heaven. And so if we look at Jesus, there are four main aspects of prayer that he modeled. 
the first is that throughout the Gospels, Jesus makes us aware that prayer was central to his life, especially as a means of receiving revelation from his heavenly Father. And this was most definitely not a peripheral activity or a casual add-on to his life. Now, this is something, of course, that his disciples really only began to grasp uh, as they waited in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to come. And the second and equally significant part of Jesus' teaching is that he plays a great, places a great emphasis on the fatherhood of God. Uh, in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus says, My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him to. And so it's interesting that although Jesus talks a lot about the Father and teaches about the Father, there are actually no prayers in the uh, book of Acts which refer to the fatherhood of God. Instead, there's an emphasis on Jesus being the way to the Father. And we'll talk a bit about that more in a moment. Uh, third, prayer in Jesus' teaching is always more than just an isolated act of, of piety or reverence. Uh, it's a practice that grows out of your inner reality. That is your attitudes, your convictions and your commitments. And in, indeed, really, the, the beliefs that you hold most dear. And he tells a great story. Again, this is, this is a bit of a, a longer one, but I think it's worth telling in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. It says, Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everybody else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The fourth thing that Jesus did for us was in anticipation of times of hostility, which, of course, never going to happen to us. Uh, Jesus urges his disciples to persevere through faith-filled prayer in the face of terrible opposition. Really encouraging. Luke 21.36 says, Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. So, great positive scriptures there. But Jesus is urging his disciples, which is us, all of you, watching here to make prayer central to our lives not a tacked on extra or a religious observation just to please others i'd hate to think that people in in this church prayed just because it pleased me uh, it's actually something that we need to make central to our lives because it's a connection with god to pray to our father in heaven through jesus christ for revelation and also for the transforming power that it brings to the very core of our being and of course, the other message is keep praying because trouble's coming. <laughs> so what changed after Jesus ascended to heaven? Uh, well, we've got to look beyond the Gospels for that because I don't know whether you've noticed that the Gospels are, are really rich in Jesus' teaching about prayer. 
but they don't actually contain many examples of the disciples themselves actually praying. Uh, there's one uh, example, of course, which most of us would remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is hardly a shining example of following through with what they've been taught. But the book of Acts, however, contains over 30 examples of Jesus' followers at prayer, along with um, a, a, a character study. Uh, the book of Acts actually establishes prayer as a quality of character of the disciples. And it's summarized as, as the prayerfulness in Acts 1, uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 14, where it says, They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. And so from that beginning, we can see, as we read on, that prayer becomes a characteristic activity of the early church. In chapter 2, verse 47, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. So as we can see here, the, the temple still actually functioned as a house of prayer for the disciples, forming a foundation for the prayer life in the early church. But as the, the prayers of Jesus' followers soon began to move beyond the constraints of Judaism, as two things happened. The first thing was that the focus of prayer changed from Yahweh to Jesus. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 17, we've got Ananias who goes to find Saul, who has just been blinded on the road to Damascus. And he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 7.59, it says, As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So there's this shift from the Jewish concept of praying to Yahweh to the newly Christian concept of actually praying to Jesus Christ. The other thing that changed pr prayer uh, so that it moved away from the temple, of course, was that the focus of Paul and others actually turned to the Gentiles who had no such background of temple worship. Uh, in Acts 22, verse 17, Paul says, After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, Hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. And further on in verse 21, he says, But the Lord said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And so with this change of focus, we can see that the book of Acts showcases four distinct categories of prayer which we can apply in our prayer lives today and uh, I'm going to finish with these four but these these are the things that we need to take away we need to start applying that we actually need to bring into our prayer life if we haven't already because that they were important for the disciples then and I think they're important for us as a church right now the first was prayer when selecting commissioning or empowering leadership the first example of this is, of course, when the disciples uh, choose a replacement for Judas. They pray with the intent that their divine will is actually revealed, 
And also in that prayer, they align themselves with whatever God's will is. And this is significant because it emphasizes the unity of this newly formed Christian community, which can now be shown to be acting as a collective body. Uh, secondly, it demonstrates the partnership that believers have with God. Uh, it says in Acts one twenty three, they nominated two men. So they actually did something together collectively. And then they prayed, O Lord, show which of these men you have chosen. And I think it's important that even today, although we don't do a lot, a lot of choosing and selecting of leaders a lot of the time, we need to actually continue to pray for our leaders uh, just so that they are empowered, so that they do follow Jesus, so that they are actually praying that the will of God be enacted and bringing the fellowship of the church together behind that so that we actually have God's will acting in our church along with the community that we have together agreed on that will. So continue to pray for leaders all the time. The second prayer, the second type of prayer, uh, is prayer in the face of persecution and hardship. And I reckon that uh, probably five years ago, we'd have automatically assigned that prayer to praying for people in other countries, in parts of the world where there was war or, or uh, famine or persecution. And yet in the last five years, I would say that we've found that some of that, at least, has actually started to appear on our own doorsteps. And Jesus had predicted that his followers would encounter hostility, strangely. And yet at the same time, he insisted that nothing, not even life-threatening opposition, could happen to them that was outside of God's attentiveness and God's compassion. Luke 12 uh, and verse 6 and 7 says what is the price of five sparrows two copper coins and yet god does not forget a single one of them and the very hairs on your head are all numbered so don't be afraid you're more valuable to god than a flock of sparrows sometimes the math involved in the hairs on your head are a lot easier for some people than, than others um, but note that being remembered by god doesn't actually keep sparrows from being sold in the marketplace. And likewise, God's knowledge of the number of hairs on your head is not a pronouncement of divine protection from harm. But it does indicate the presence and the unsurpassed knowledge and care of God in all of your life. Given this perspective on God and how he works, uh, we shouldn't be surprised if we look in the book of Acts to discover that many of the pr prayers related to persecution and hardship are not necessarily asking for divine rescue. And so let's take our example from that. Let our prayers be for strength and courage and persistence in the face of persecution, with our faith in God, not the circumstances, knowing that God is with us in the trial. He may not be there to rescue us from the trial, but there's nothing that the trial can bring into our lives which will actually diminish the presence of God in our lives, the care of God in our lives. And so we need to take strength from the fact that we can be assured that God is indeed with us in all of these trials. The third category of prayer that we see is prayer for outreach innovation. And, and that might sound a bit odd to be something to see in the Bible, this whole idea of innovation. But the, the early church uh, came from Jewish roots. The, the er, first early Christians were all Jewish. And so to actually break them out of that mold, to get them to think beyond their, their, their Jewish heritage, uh, God had to do some quite strange things to get them to think outside the box. 
Uh, the most recognisable examples, I guess, uh, the first is the, the encounter of Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26, where the, the inclusion of the Ethiopian within the people of God actually constitutes a theological and, and missional departure of such magnitude to these people that it was important to stress that this innovation uh, was divinely inspired. Uh, Peter's encounter with Cornelius in Acts 10 uh, says that although a Gentile, Cornelius was a man of prayer. Acts 10.2 says he was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. Uh, he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. So for the, furthermore, you notice that as God appeared to Cornelius, this is paralleled with Peter's experience, who in verse 9 also has a vision while praying, which actually brings these two together. So in both cases, the will of God was revealed, both with regard to the individuals who are praying, and more significant, significantly, with regard to the makeup of the people of God. So we should constantly be praying in our world right now for opportunities to expand our thinking so that we never miss an opportunity to actually expand the kingdom of God, to pray for people that we, we wouldn't necessarily consider bringing into the kingdom of God, to, to even pray for the people we, we would feel it is impossible to bring into the kingdom of God. God wants to change our thinking, change our mind, stop us from being stuck in a particular way of thinking and to actually just expand our consciousness to the point where there's nobody that we can't conceive of being in the kingdom of God. And this needs to be a, a central por portion of our lives. It's not just an add-on, as I said before. This is part of the core belief that God wants to infuse into every Christian's heart, mind, spirit and soul. And so the last category of prayer that was important to uh, bring to the heart of the disciples was the prayer of salvation. Now, salvation is ultimately about a person's incorporation into and participation in the community of God's people, focused on the life that comes from Christ. Salvation includes the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, but includes other blessings as well. For example, physical healing. And so in a sense, I guess salvation is always related to prayer, since salvation comes to all who call on the name of the Lord. Acts 22.16. I love the way it says this. It says, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Now, I just want to pause for a second before I conclude my message here. Because I believe that that's, that's not just a call that we read about in the Bible. That's a call that is relevant to us today. I think if you're out there and you need to heed that call, if you need to call on the name of the Lord to have your sins washed away, to become a part of the community of Christ, then my question to you is, what are you waiting for? Now, I know in our current Zoom format, although I can see you all on my screen there, we don't actually have the ability to draw you aside, pray privately. But can I just encourage you to tell someone today, find someone you know who's a follower of Jesus and tell, tell them that you want to follow him. Use the phone, FaceTime them, Skype them, uh, Google uh, Meetings or, or Microsoft, whatever, whatever theirs is. Just, just get a hold of somebody who can take you on the next step to make Jesus your personal Lord and Saviour. Uh, I can't stress that enough. So in conclusion, what are, we, what are we going to do today about prayer? 
what do we what do we need to understand to make prayer something that is is more alive and more connected to our, our central daily life we need to recognize that prayer is important at the most fundamental level of christian experience it's a practice that brings us to a renewed understanding of god it builds belief in the lordship of jesus christ it reveals our confident confidence in a god who is present in our lives and it reveals a God who acts to bring redemption. It's a context in which God chooses to reveal his purpose. It's where God invites our participation in his purpose. And through prayer, we seek to know the aim of God. And it's where we commit ourselves to the service of what that aim is. Prayer enables us to be established as followers of Jesus. So let me ask you all a question as I finish. Do you want to be followers of Jesus who won? continue to model the humility and the grace of Jesus, and two, who bear the power and the ministry of Jesus. Because if you do, prayer needs to be at the forefront of your life. Let me pray for you all as I close. Lord Jesus, as your followers, we want to be closer to you. We want to know your will for our lives, and we want to share your redemptive love with others. Help us bring prayer into the center of our worlds. Allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us and guide everything we do. To the glory of your kingdom here on earth. Amen. Hey, great to speak to you guys. Great to see. I don't know whether any of you reacted. I can see there's a few things on the screen there. Um, and uh, some of them are a little mysterious. But uh, I just pray that we can take that teaching on prayer and make our lives richer, closer to God, because we've actually put into practice what we've learned. Uh, just a quick shout out for next week. Uh, there'll be something new. Uh, tentatively, um, I, I've thought of the title as Why For? Um, and I won't explain that to you until next week. So uh, hang tight there. Thank you, Carmen. <laughs>